This podcast is brought to you in part by Surewinder. Surewinder takes great pride in producing high-quality tools that keep you safe and make your life easier. Let them shoulder the burden of winding your springs with a power drill. Hey guys, today's podcast is with Tim Ashford. He's with Rainer Garage Doors, and we've got some exciting things that he talks about. Their online ordering system, their commercial doors, residential doors, what makes them different. This is a great interview. He's amazing. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hey guys, Ryan with Torsion Talk Podcast. Today we have Tim Ashford from Rainer Garage Doors. Super excited uh, to have you. Tim, how are you, man? I'm doing excellent, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Good. Well, uh, we, as you know, we've reached out to a bunch of suppliers and it's, uh, you know, some have been more difficult to get on the show than others, but we're, we're getting some headway. I want to thank you, uh, for taking the time to do this. I know you're very busy. All these people that we're trying to get a hold of are very busy people and, uh, dealing with extra stresses during this time of, and, and trying to grow their businesses and do everything. So I uh, appreciate the time that you're taking out to do this. Glad to be on Ryan. Um, you know, I, I'm always excited when somebody like you brings something exciting to the garage door industry. Oh, I don't think there's ever been a shucks. podcast about the garage door industry before. So. There hasn't. And there's probably a good reason, but I just said, screw it. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's, it's actually the only business I've, or, you know, about the only business I've ever been in. So, um, for my whole career, so it's, it's exciting to see you know new and innovative things and creative ways about thinking about the garage door business. I so. totally get made fun of by a lot of people when I tell them that I have a podcast about garage door, like the garage door industry. They're like, "How much could you possibly talk about?" And I'm like, "Listen." I could talk for days about this. This is like exciting to me. And uh, so my neighbors all make fun of me. Uh, a few of my friends make fun of me, uh, but it doesn't sound sexy. I got a podcast about the garage door industry. Like if you're outside the industry, you're like, what? Uh, but there's so much to talk about, I think. So I'm enjoying it. Absolutely. You know what? I was at a layover one time at an airport and I was uh, eating dinner and, and this gal sitting next to me asked what I did for a living. I said, Oh, I'm a, in sales, the garage door industry. And she looked at me and she says, Oh, that's cute. And I said, what the heck? It's uh, you know, it's something important, you know, it's, it's cute. until your spring. I'm way more important work, so. than you think I am. Just so you know, <laughs> you got it. All right. So tell us a little bit about you, uh, Rainer, how Rainer got started and how you got hooked up and started working for Rainer. Okay. Um, so I actually grew up in rural Nebraska and, um, uh, just actually in the, the Panhandle area, almost in Wyoming. And uh, when I was going to, to college, I um, actually, she wasn't my wife at the time, but my, my girlfriend's dad had a garage store business. And I was looking to, of course, make some money, you know, starving college student and all that kind of stuff. And I said, oh, how about, uh, how about I go work for your dad? And my uh, girlfriend says, don't do it. Once you start working in the door industry, you'll never get out. And I said, yeah, 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 it'll just be for while I'm going to school. I was actually going to school to uh, enter the, the world of education. I wanted to be a, a post-secondary education uh, teacher. So 
Um, anyway, I, I started working for him over the summers, and then one summer turned into two, turned into two years, turned into 10 years, and here I am 20 years later still in the garage door business. And, uh, you know, like we said earlier, it's not something that I think anybody endeavors to set out uh, to be part of, but I happen to stumble upon it. And, you know, I, I like doing mechanical things. I, I, I love teaching. I love being around people, but I also like the challenge of mechanical things. So for the first part of my time in the business, it was really good that I was able to learn the garage door industry um, from the ground up, uh, learning how to install doors, learning how they work, becoming a technician, the electrical aspect. So worked on a lot of different things from residential all the way up to commercial industrial doors. and was a technician for, you know, about 10 years, give or take, and uh, learned a lot about the business that way. And uh, so from there, I, I moved into um, progressively larger sales and management roles within the industry. So I moved from Nebraska to Colorado, Colorado to Utah, back to Colorado to Iowa, back to Utah, back to Colorado. So I've kind of moved around a bit. And some of that was by design. Um, you know, you, you kind of move where the job is, especially during the 08, 09 timeframe. Um, I think people were happy to have work. Uh, but interestingly enough, that actually was one of my more productive times uh, in my career and in the industry. I, I worked for a company in Utah and we were able to grow our sales um, 10% in uh, 08 and 15% in 09. So, um, you know, despite all the hard economic times that were, you know, uh, uh, affecting a lot of parts of this country, I was able to still grow our business. And, and a lot of that just had to do with, you know, the good people that I worked with, surrounded myself with, with good, hardworking individuals, um, the reputation of the company I worked for, of course, and uh, frankly, good salesmanship and just, just the hustle to get things going. So, um, so anyway, I entered, I always knew I wanted to work for um, a manufacturer. I, that was kind of my, my dream. I'd always, you know, I like the technical part. I like work on the dealer side, but I, I, I like sales more than I like project management, if you will. So I knew I always wanted to be more on the sales side and more on the manufacturer side of the business. So um, while I was working in Iowa, I applied for a job as a district sales manager with Overhead Door Corporation and um, was uh, inter interviewed there and was uh, accepted the position that was offered to me as a district sales manager covering kind of the Intermountain West area, so Montana, Idaho, Wyoming and Utah. And um, so I was a district sales manager there for a couple of years. It was a great way. I mean, Overhead's a great company. It was a great way to kind of get into the manufacturing side of things. I worked with a, a lot of good people over there, still friends with um, my old boss, friends with uh, my old colleagues um, that I work with. So good company, um, great customers, great way to, to get into the manufacturing side of things. In fact, I had no intention of leaving um, until I was you know, approached by Rainer. So one of my customers uh, was uh, actually, I said I had Utah, Wyoming, Montana, et cetera, but I also had Hawaii, which was, you know, a real disappointment to have Hawaii as a, uh, as a territory I had to cover. So I'm sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, took one for the team by going over there a couple of years and did some work and uh, had a, made a lot of good progress with a customer over there. Well, the customer over there was a diehard Rainer guy and still is a diehard Rainer guy. But I spent my time working with him and doing what I could to sell him overhead products, um, despite the fact that it was not his primary go-to manufacturer. And he said, he approached Rainer and said, hey, if you ever, you know, if you ever need a, a quality person, you should, you know, look him up. Well, lo and behold, they looked me up. They said, <laughs> we've got this role that we're trying to fill for an, a director of architectural sales. Our architectural sales spec rate has been 
flat slash declining over the past few years. We know we need to spend some time, money, and effort into getting this, you know, kind of revamped. Um, we heard you were good at, you know, lunch and learns and architectural specifications and just the door, door industry in general. Or would you be interested in coming and talking to us? And, um, you know, sure, I'll talk to you guys. What, what do you have to offer? It was uh, it, an exciting role because it was something different, um, kind of a different set of customers, if you will. And um, I always like to say that, uh, you know, my, my boss is a really, really good salesperson because I, I interviewed and went through the whole process. I really was interested in the job, but, you know, sometimes the, uh, the, the challenge that you know is better than the challenge that you don't know. Um, and so I was like, I'm staying with overhead. Um, you know, there's an opportunity for advancement there, which I was interviewing simultaneously for and was offered that advancement opportunity. But, uh, so I turned down Rainer's opportunity, you know, the opportunity offered to me by Rainer and my boss called me and said, man, you got to come do this. Why would you give up on this, you know, pass on this chance and so on. He says, uh, you know, I was always, he always liked to say I was his hardest sell, which, uh, mm-hmm. I take as a compliment because it means that, you know, he had to work for it and I really had to be convinced and, and it actually was a really good thing for both of us. And, and, uh, so long story short, I came to over, or came to Rainer as the director of architectural sales and spent about a year and a half or so working to get our spec rate up, implement um, procedures for how many lunch and learns we're doing, getting back um, kind of in the forefront of, um, you know, the commercial spec rate and so on and started to see that trend turn around. And, and again, it's still turned around to the point where um, we're actually, if you com- if you look at combined coiling and sectional door spec, we're actually the number one spec product again, which is exciting to see and kind of a, Congratulations. Um, I, I'd say it's a, yeah, thank you. I, I say it's a testament to, uh, I don't want to take credit for it. Yeah, I put a lot of the processes in place, but it's really a testament to my sales team because they're the ones that um, executed the plan that was put in place, and it was their hard work that, they got, that got us there. So, um, But anyway, I was in that role for about a year and a half, and then again, my boss came to me and said, hey, we've got an opportunity to um, be director of U.S. national sales. Our current director's you know, heading towards retirement and want to, to know if you're interested. And I said, man, I really love what I'm doing here. Again, I, I, I didn't want to make a big change because I really liked what I was doing on the architectural side. And, um, he said, well, this You're is so a great opportunity. I, I know, man, <laughs> I, uh, you know, that, that, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. My wife, most of the time it's a bad thing with her. But, uh, anyway, I told, I told him, I said, you know, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. And, you know, I, I, I knew the challenges because I worked on the dealer side, because I've worked with dealers and because I was a dealer, I knew all the challenges that were um, involved there. Uh, and I just really didn't feel I had enough progress made on the architectural side. So anyway, it, he convinced me again, long story short, I took the role and uh, it was, it's been great because I've had a lot more involvement with our customers. Um, you know, you're, you're a customer of ours, obviously. And I, and I, uh, the people like you each and every day, it's fantastic to get out and talk to um, our customers, prospect for new customers. I still have a heavy hand in our architectural sales, although we do have an architectural sales manager that does that, but uh, um, we're still, I'm still very involved in that. And as I mentioned before um, we started recording, I'm, I'm also in charge of national accounts too. So my role has kind of expanded and evolved. Um, so I have a hand in a lot of different aspects of sales, which is good. Um, it's one it's one of those things that you have to kind of realize what you're good at and where your strengths lie and delegate you know right. because you can you could spend a whole lot of time just you know trying to run everything or being involved in every little project so you gotta so you gotta funny. strike the balance between you know delegation and assignment of, of tasks that you know somebody else is you know just as good or better than you are at 
and then that doing, I should say, and let them run with it. And uh, fortunately, I have a super solid team that I'm, I have the pleasure to work with and they do a great job. So um, that's where I'm at in my career, if you will, from, you know, 20 years, 1999 to current. So and, um, I'm learning about delegation for probably the last six months. I've been really focused on doing a better job of it as a business owner. Um, and I would say it's probably one of the most difficult things, but also the under, like the most underrated thing for a business owner. Um, and I've gotten so good at it (laughs) the past like 30, 60 days that I'm starting to wonder if I'm doing it too much. (laughs) So now I'm just like, what am I going to do today? I've delegated everything that's normally on my list. So, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm finding myself in a new territory. So maybe I need to call you and ask some advice. Well, I'll tell you, Ryan, one of the things that I've always found is when you get a chance to have a solid team that you work with, it gives you the chance to kind of free up your mind to focus on that next big thing or the next step or the direction you want to take, because sometimes it's really easy to get, and people like you and, and me are probably really good at um, doing the day-to-day and the tactical, but if you don't take yourself out of that and, and let other people do some of those roles sometimes and think strategically, um, you know, you personally and, and the business certainly becomes stagnant. So um, you're right, though, Ryan. It's a, it's a tough thing to uh, it's a tough thing to, to learn to do. And to me, it's a trust thing because I'm a perfectionist, too. So yeah. I have to trust that somebody else is going to do it the way I want it done. And it's also a learning thing because then it's like, well, maybe somebody else doesn't do it exactly the same way I do it, but they're still doing it a great way and maybe right. they're doing it a better way that I just haven't thought about. So yeah. I guess it's all part of the maturing process. And, you know, if you, if you ever stop, if, I hope that I never stop learning, never stop maturing and growing. And, you know, so that's kind of, I guess, the journey. But, um, but anyway, do you want to hear a quick history about Rainer? I can certainly fill you in on yeah, that too. I'll, tell me a little bit about history of Rainer and then the vision of, of Rainer and your go-to market strategy. So Rainer started 75 years ago. Um, we are a, are, we're always have been and continue to be a, a family owned business. Um, third generation ownership right now. It was started by, um, uh, a couple of gentlemen in uh, the middle part of Illinois they had a, uh, a millwork business. So back then in the 1940s, a lot of doors were um, rail and style, wood panel sort of doors. Um, and they were that way, obviously, up and through the, uh, through the 70s until steel doors started to come onto the market. So they had a millwork business. And um, Ray Nyswander I bought his par- partner out after about two years, give or take, of operating the business. Um, so Nyswander was... Um, Ray Senior's first, you know, last name, and Norberg was the um, the uh, last name of the other guy. So it's Raynor. They combined their last names and created the name Rainer. So that's no the name. Yeah, so that's the Rainer name, and um, you know, it, it's kind of catchy. So yeah. I guess they it's it stuck around for seventy five years, and I, I'm pretty fond of it myself. So they opened up. They moved from that small town um, to Dixon, Illinois, after about two years of business because they wanted to be a little closer to the rail yard. Everything back then was shipped um, via rail uh, into Chicago. So our headquarters are in Dixon, Illinois. Uh, it's about an hour and a half to two hours drive, depending on what part of Chicago you're coming from, but from Chicago to the uh, west of Chicago. And so it made a lot of sense back then to be right along the rail um, route. And uh, frankly, we still use a lot of rail, yeah, rail um, intermodal transport to transport our, our product around the country. So 
Um, that practice that was started back, you know, 75 years ago continues today. Um, it started off just servicing, you know, local people, local lumber yards, um, not dissimilar from what we do now, but as the years progressed, it got bigger and bigger. And, and really, I think the, uh, the, the promulgation of garage doors uh, into the United States really happened when more and more people started owning cars. Um, the American dream of the 50s, you know, uh, uh, chicken in the pot and whatever the expression is, and a car in the garage is how I phrase it. But um, they, they uh, needed garage, garages to park their cars in, and then, of course, they wanted to not have to get out to open up the garage door, so then the electric opener came out of the scene and so on. And so as that um, single-family home started becoming more and more popular, um, obviously we grew with that. Um, our uh, kind of go-to-market strategy is, is now what it always has been, although it does take and always has taken some evolution as, you know, the door industry has changed. So if you think about a door dealer, traditional door dealer back, um, and again, I wasn't around for the 1940s and 50s, but from what I hear back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and even in the 80s, a lot of door dealers um, purchased truckloads of product. They stored it in their warehouse. They sold out of it uh, or out of their warehouse to the, um, their customers as well as maybe some contractors in the area and so on so that they were essentially a distribution center. What you see now, a lot of door companies will purchase their product through door company manufacturers' uh, owned distribution centers. So some of our competition uses a distribution center, and they have a number of them throughout major metro areas in the country. Um, we don't use the distribution model because we still want to be able to get um, product into our customers' hands directly. Um, and we actually choose our customers maybe a little differently or our customers choose us differently with however you want to look at it. Um, so instead of having a distribution center and selling to a lot of different customers, we have specific customers in a market that we sell to. Um, it lets us as a manufacturer, I won't say keep a tighter eye on our customers, if you will, but it lets us be able to, um, maybe be a little more choosy, um, and it also lets our customers know that we're their guy, if you will, that they don't have to worry about a bunch of other people selling the same product. Because, again, my background on the dealer level, um, me, I've had to fight this in the past, is if I'm selling a brand um, and my competition in that same market is selling the same brand, the exact same door, what's the only thing I have to compete on? Or essentially the only thing I have to compete on is price. And to me, that's a bad position to be in when you're talking about it on the dealer or the consumer level because – you want something other than just price to differentiate. Um, right. And we could spend a long time talking about sales methodol methodology on price and value and so on and so forth. But, you know, price is, is rarely the number one deciding factor when somebody, myself included, makes a purchase. Um, you always want a lot of value. Um, and price is important as long as it's competitive, but it doesn't always have to be the lowest price. And so by us selling to our customers um, a specific or a different product, if you will, it helps create a little differentiation other than just price. And there's certainly a lot of things baked into our product, which I can talk about in a little bit, I suppose, um, that make our product a little different, um, maybe a little more exciting for a, a dealer to want to sell. So anyway, that's how we generally go to market. And then, of course, there's um, a different aspect in terms of our national accounts. So we've got some people, um, major corporations, that just want to do business corporation to corporation. And, um, you know, we have contracts with those, those companies and we funnel those installations and the sales. And I say there's not one size fits all on this end of the spectrum, but we funnel those uh, sales generally through some of our national account partners or even our dealer partners too. That so, seems to be um, a growing trend 
in our industry as well, especially on the commercial side. Uh, well, really just on the commercial side, um, I'm unaware of any like home builders. There might be some large national home builders that you guys do that with, but, or different manufacturers, but on the commercial side, that just seems to be like a thing. Um, and I guess it makes a lot of sense, uh, from, from every aspect other than I guess a dealer, uh, who feels like they're maybe getting cut out on the product profit, um, I mean, I understand it from like a, like a business perspective, a hundred percent. I also think there's, there may be a lack of knowledge, product knowledge and preparedness on getting the information right and presenting it in a manner that makes these big corporations who spend in tons of money on these projects, um, to feel comfortable with as well. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about that and, and how that serves the customer, um, and like if dealers wanted to be involved with rain or on the labor side on those projects, how, who would we reach out to you or what's the process on that? Somer is a European based garage door opener manufacturer who has recently opened Somer USA out of Charlotte, North Carolina, serving more than 90 countries worldwide with our 40 years of experience. Somer produces one of the highest quality openers on the market. Combining German engineering and manufacturing, Somer uses direct drive technology to make their openers and opener accessories durable, long-lasting, quiet, and with the maximum lifting force. Further, Somer has earned both IDA and DASMA certifications by maintaining the quality and innovation standards set in place by national and international garage door associations. Maintaining these standards has allowed Somer to create the most versatile operator on the market, featuring unique optimization and diagnostic tools to make their operator perfect for every job and every customer. For more information on Somer operators, visit somer-usa.com. That's S-O-M-M-E-R-USA.com or contact their Charlotte office at 877-766-6607. Presenting it in a manner that makes these big corporations who spend in tons of money on these projects um, to feel comfortable with as well. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about that and, and how that serves the customer? Um, and like if dealers wanted to be involved with rain or on the labor side on those projects, how, who would we reach out to you or what's the process on that? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'd be the, I'd be the contact point and I can get you in touch with the people on my team that will work through the details about it. So certainly get in touch with me, but you, you bring up a good point. We talk about how the um, industry has evolved, how it went from, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, every, every dealer was essentially their own distribution center to having more distribution centers and less people stocking inventory. I think some of that has to do with just the way manufacturers, you know, disseminate their products. I think a lot of it also has to do with the demand from customers. Um, mostly on the residential side, um, with all the products. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, the different sizes, the window options, the colors, and every year you've got to add something more because that's the trend that the consumer wants. It's very difficult for a, a, a door dealer, traditional door dealer, to stock that product. Um, so I think that as that's evolved, um, maybe on the residential side, on the commercial side, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you always look at, um, commercial customers, or I should say, are always looking for ways to reduce costs, 
increase durability, reduce their service calls and so on. So a lot of things that commercial customers are looking for are products that are unique and durable. They're looking for products that don't have to be serviced as often. So you'll see obviously products like high-speed fabric doors or high-speed rubber doors or impactable doors and things like that. You'll also see, um, you know, the add-ons you put to a commercial door, the 100,000 cycle springs and stuff that will presumably extend the life of the, the, that product, the usable life of the product. But um, more importantly, they're looking for ways to buy that product with cutting out the middleman, if you will. So, and I don't know that it's necessarily by design that they're trying to save costs. Um, I think they're trying to save uh, headache or paperwork or get some continuity in the process. So um, you go from, let's pick on a company like Walmart, and I'm not saying this is, is or isn't the case, but you know, if, you, if you're a Just Walmart an and you want to have your you know, door service, it makes a lot more sense to have a partnership with, you know, two or three or four large regional type people or one or two manufacturers rather than having relationships with 600 or 1200 different door dealers throughout the country. Yeah. It makes it a lot more streamlined. Around, on their side. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You know, and the other thing is, is I think, uh, besides the continuity, I think people are trying to integrate some technology. So on the you know, you talk about the garage door side maybe being lagging in terms of technology. Um, you know, I was sitting in, this, this is probably about three or four years ago, I was sitting in a, um, a symposium for entry doors, and the way they design buildings for, say, a university is you've got all of your doors or have all the information for those doors built into a BIM object. That BIM object tells what hand the door is, what size the door is, what type of glass, what size of glass where it's located, what the closure is, what the hinges are, everything about that door so that when facilities maintenance goes in and says, oh, door 101A in building G has a problem, they just go into that BIM file as designed by the architect and handed to facilities maintenance, and they know what parts to take out with them to do first call resolution. And I think that people would like to see the garage door business get to there, but there's so many different variations in a garage door that make it, I will say impossible, but virtually impossible. Um, or maybe cost prohibitive is a better way to put it, um, to, to, to get to that point where all the information is baked into a single point of, of data for a, a building facilities manager. So I think we're trying to come up with workarounds um, by having, you know, standardized products on, on different facilities for a, a, you know, a specific customer having a standard service provider or having standard manufacturer. So, you know, you hear the term a lot like vertical integration. And so you hear that from companies, um, like off Obloy, well, they're, they'll start with owning the manufacturing and owning the distribution and owning the installation so that they know what's going on top to bottom um, throughout that process. And it works in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, in other cases, I think that maybe the rest of the industry isn't quite there yet. I think that you'll still, there's still a place and always will be a place for all these types of customers. So your national account customers, your big national service providers, as well as your local dealers. And the reason I say that is because the local dealers are oftentimes best equipped to handle, maybe they're not going to have the account with, you know, Walmart, for instance, but maybe they have the account with, you know, the local or regional car dealership or service station. Um, and certainly they have them with or should have them with all of the local businesses that operate in that area, you know, the bottled water company and places like that. So I think there's always a place for, you know, different types of um 
you know, consumers of garage doors, if you will, you know, dealers and national account customers. I think that the, the guys and the gals that do really well are the ones that adapt. They realize that it, things aren't always the way they have been and they're willing to move and, you know, evolve with the times, if you will. So as I mentioned earlier, we're always, you know, looking for partners to help us out, not only on the dealer side, but also on the national account side. So if anybody has any interest in, in, you know, learning more about that or getting connected with uh, different projects in their area, certainly reach out to me and I'd be glad to help there. Beautiful. So I want to share, I, I just want to, I like to share with our audience my experience, if I have one, with the people, our suppliers. I'm very honest and straightforward with my opinions and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not great, but I try not to be negative. Uh, but there's really hard to find anything negative about my relationship with Rainer. Uh, it started with Chris walking in my door one day, uh, or calling and scheduling an appointment. I don't remember, uh, came in and out of all the reps that I've talked to, he's probably the most impressive I've had reps come in here and try to tell me how to run my business better, which is a little frustrating because I get to know them for five minutes and then they're already like diagnosing all the things I'm doing wrong, which is great. Love that. Um, I've got reps who, uh, you know, uh, are not super friendly and kind of rude. Uh, I've got reps who come in and, um, you know, kind of act like they're the best of the best and, and, you know, it's hard to cut through all that to find out what's real and what's not. Chris came in humble, educated, knew a ton of answers and gave me a little bit about his background. I think if I recall correctly, he started out like customer service or something like that. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it, the story's just great. Like, and the fact that you guys saw the talent that he had and, um, and he stepped up to the plate and, and, and took the challenge. I, I used to be on the vendor side. I sold to, uh, very large corporations, um, sometimes fortune 500. Uh, I think there was maybe one or two, 100, uh, and, and you have to have confidence, but you can't be cocky, you know, and, and he has this perfect balance of just, uh, humbleness, uh, but confident and very educational. He's a great listener, which is way underrated in sales. Uh, and so I was so impressed by him that that's what made me interested in your product. And I was like, you know what? I'm digging everything you're saying. And you guys, I mean, he told me, he's like, look, we don't really, we're not trying to fight for your business for the Pandors. Uh, and I'm like, great. Cause I don't really want to sell Pandors. <laughs> so I was like, what you got? And so he starts telling me about the urethane product that you have and the full view glass doors. Cause we sell a lot of full view glass doors and your powder coating. And I was just really impressed by him and the detail of information. I'd ask him tough questions. He knew the answers to it. He didn't get flustered. And, um, so I said, you know what? I'm in, let's give it a shot. Um, and so we discussed, um, bringing us on as a dealer and 
you know, a same or similar conversation that I have with most. It's, you know, hey, we'll, we'll do this. And, and you know, we, we hope to, to maintain at least a $50,000 spend a year. I think it was the conversation I had with them. And I think it's very similar. I've had that same conversation at least 10 times. So it's not abnormal for that. Um, and so we, I said, you know what? I think I could probably do that. It's no big deal. So let's sign up. Um, I said, but be patient with me. I got to get my guys on board. We got to add product to our, our price book and service Titan and education and all that stuff. Right. So, so before we even get out of the gate, I think we sold one. Um, and then we sold more and, and now it's a, it's a pretty, we're selling them on a monthly basis. We're very impressed with the urethane product. Uh, we're have we're experiencing massive issues with one of our primary uh, manufacturers that we use and I won't throw names out, but um, you know, it's, you guys have been very dependable. You guys have communicated with delays, but let me take a step back. When we signed up, I got a box uh, this box was probably, I don't know, two or three feet wide, maybe foot, two foot tall, packed full of just good stuff. Um, hats. Uh, I got a hat. I still wear it today. Like I'm wearing it all the time. Um, I got a water bottle and the, one of the most impressive things I got was this, um, big poster of pictures of all the employees and what they do in their direct extension. Um, just, uh, I'm on this big kick this year about being intentional about what you do. And you can tell that you guys aren't just going through the motions. You guys are intentional about what you're doing. And it's very impressive. Uh, the onboarding, the communication, um, I, you know, the, uh, if there was ever a knock on you guys, it would probably be, I like your online ordering system, but it's, it feels a little dated as far as the aesthetics, but it's not, it's not front facing. So I don't really care. Um, and that's me reaching really far, I think. Um, so, uh, I've just been really impressed. I think we've been a dealer with you guys. You probably know more than me six months or so. Is that right? Six, eight months. Yeah, a little long. Yeah. I think it's actually rolling up on maybe eight or 10 months. It's, it's okay. been, uh, since I think last fall. Yeah, and the relate. Uh, I don't know about the relationship on your side, but um, you know we're ordering and paying, so I imagine from y'all standpoint that's a good thing. Um, and then from our standpoint, you know we we expect the doors to come in in good shape. Uh, the the delivery drivers, heck, dude, I could go on for fifteen minutes about the delivery drivers, how awesome they are. Uh, these guys work for you guys are pulling up in a Rainer truck. Um, you know they know they know stuff about the product. They're friendly. They'll help us unload. Like, I mean, it's just impressive, like the whole operation. And I talk a lot about uh, with friends and networks and stuff within the garage door industry about how difficult it is for manufacturers to get into distribution. And for whatever reason, you're either really good at manufacturing or you're really good at distribution, but very few are good at both. And I feel like and, and as of now, 10 months is a good, I think it's a good range to be able to make this statement. I think you guys have hit a home run in the manufacturing side and you guys have figured out the distribution. And I know you guys don't have a lot of distribution centers everywhere. So maybe the delivery thing is, is the way to go. Uh, but I, I'm just impressed uh, by the product, the distribution, the manufacturer, the quality control, the communication, the intent, 
being intentional about everything you guys are doing. Uh, just really impressed. So kudos to you guys. Sorry for everybody hearing me um, uh, be a fan man here, but I think it's justified and I want people to know about you guys and give you guys a shot. Ron, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, you kind of going through what you just said. I mean, we, we try and, and hire, hire the best. I mean, we've, we've got uh, the majority of our people that are regional sales managers um, are from the door industry. Um, a lot of them came through different stripes um, of Rainer. Like we had one, um, one of my regional sales managers in the Northeast actually owned his own door dealership and, and worked uh, selling Rainer and, and some other brand products as well. But so he knows, you know, everything that, you know, you guys on the dealer side know too. So it's, it's very helpful to have people like that on the team. Um, you know, and, and I think you bring up a good point. It's, it's, it's the humble, it's knowing what you're, it's knowing what you know and not and knowing what you don't know. So, you know, all of myself included, I mean, there are so many pieces about a garage door and I'm not just talking about the physical piece. I'm talking about how everything moves together and the whole system is that, you know, you don't always know everything or what you knew two years ago, maybe obsolete or have a little bit, bit different information and knowing when to say, uh, I think it's this, but let me check up on it. I think it's key, you know, I, it, to, to me being in sales, um, it is, is less about sales and more about helping somebody, you know, connect the dots with what they need, with what you're, what you have to offer. So, you know, let's be honest, a lot of different people in this industry or manufacturers, I should say, make really good products. I mean, there's some that are, you know, lower on the quality scale and there's some that are higher on the quality scale, but I would say there's, you know, the vast majority of manufacturers make a decent quality product. A lot of it though has to do with how we interface with you as a dealer or the end users in some cases or account partners, the other stuff and how we, and I think you touched on it too, how it's distributed. Um, nobody's perfect. So when we make a mistake and there's a damaged delivery or something got missed or, you know, frankly, somebody entered an order wrong, you know, when those occasional things come up, how do we own it? How do we make it right? How quickly do we make it right with you guys? Um, to me, those are all very, very key things um, because nobody can be perfect, but how do we get to that place of almost perfect again um, past the mistake? And, you know, a lot of that has to do with how, it's, it's kind of a culture, if you will. It's what our regional sales managers do. You mentioned our drivers. It's, it's how they interact. Because, frankly, you probably see your driver more than you see, Chris. And, and a lot of people see the drivers way more than they see or even talk to customer service people. So the drivers really are, in many cases, uh, the face of our business. So it's the drivers. It's the regional sales people. It's the people in customer service. And, like I said, it's kind of a, a integrated culture thing of how we view our customers, how we view our product, and how we you know work like we're – it sounds kind of – coy and cliche is to a certain extent, but you know, as if we were selling that product or providing that product for our friend or our mom, if you will. So to me, it's, it's everybody having that mindset and uh, showing up each day and doing their best to help everybody do their best. Frankly, the way I look at it, if you as, as one of my customers as a dealer aren't able to sell my product, I'm not able to sell my product. It's not like I'm going to go out to your district, your territory and start calling on all your customers and sell my product. I'll never be successful that way. So my ability to sell Rainer doors is directly related to your ability to sell Rainer doors. And I want to help you be able to do that through all the things we just mentioned, um, the people and the product and so on. And then also helping you guys like you're pretty, uh, you're pretty tuned in with your people and your sales processes and all that kind of stuff. And 
And there's some other dealers out there that, you know, need, need some assistance or need some resources. Let's put it that way. And so we've got a number of resources, whether it be from technical academies or sales training and things like that, that we're able to help our customers with so that they're able to, um, you know, selfishly sell more rain or doors, of course, but you know, on bigger picture, help them be better business people because, um, you know, if, if you guys aren't able to be successful in, in your businesses, again, you're not able to pay your bills for us and we're not able to stay in business either. So it's really right. kind of this big circle that we need to help maintain. So I appreciate the kind words about Rainer and, and certainly, um, you know, that's uh, that's great feedback and that's something that we, we constantly are striving for. So uh, I appreciate hearing that feedback. Yeah. So when I look at you, Rainer as a whole, uh, just from my experience, I, I think about the Aspen I've been very pleased with the quality of the Aspen on the residential side. Uh, it's a urethane. It comes in a one and three eighths, a two inch. Um, and you guys have a Lux edition. I think the Lux edition, I haven't ordered one of those, but I believe it's just bigger windows um, uh, in the top section. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, it's called Lux View, and it's actually got um, seven eighth inch thick insulated glass. And they're an oversized window. So they're, you put them in a 24-inch section so you can get that large, large window look. Um, the frames are arched. If you have an arch window, instead of just being the insert piece arched, the frames are arched. They're pretty substantial. They make a really nice uh, addition to somebody who wants to not spend a lot more money but maybe get that upgraded look or, you know, get that aesthetic that they're looking for. Right. And uh, and then the other, view, the other product that I've ordered from you guys uh, quite a bit are the full-view glass doors. And you guys call them a Luma View. Um, good product. They come in one and three quarters, two inch, and three inch. Uh, and the way Chris explained it to me is the three inch is more of like uh, sold a lot on Florida or the coast. Uh, for It's actually approved for uh, wind load. Uh, struts can slide in the frame so they don't even have to be mounted on the back, which I think is super cool. I got a sample of that here. Um but that's a that's a really heavy duty, really diesel like door. Um, we haven't sold one of those yet, but we've definitely sold the AV one seventy five and the AV two hundred. Uh, I like the fact that you guys make those in a smaller size uh, for countertop doors because those are becoming really popular with smaller like little restaurants and bars and pubs and stuff like that. And um, so I can order them in small sizes four by four, I think. Um, I can get it, you know, 18, uh, 18 wide, just a lot of variables. But one of the coolest things that I like about it is, uh, you guys, um, your, your polyurethane foam and your doors are, seem to be a little bit different. I'd like you to talk about the, the neurofoam, uh, technology that you guys use and then, uh, why you guys committed so heavily into, um, powder coating and tell us a little bit about that yeah so um let me talk about the aspen product so all of our polyurethane products so it'd be our aspen um on the residential side and then we've got our uh thermoseal on the commercial side so um they both use what we call new foam technology and what the way our foam process works we actually have a, a blown in process instead of poured in or laid in polyurethane we actually dynamically lay it between the skins of steel as it's being formed. Um, and it's a really, really cool process to see. Um, any of our dealers that are listening, we have some standing invitation to come out and visit us at our manufacturing facilities, and we'll give you the, uh, the, the tour. 
and uh, be glad to show you guys how, how your how the product that you're installing and selling is, is being made. Um, but that dynamic wand, if you will, when we're pu- putting in the polyurethane, kind of stretches the cellular structure of our new foam polyurethane parallel with the width of the door. And it sounds kind of nerdy and, you know, people other than you and I probably wouldn't think about it. But if you think about the cellular structure kind of being oblong, if you will, or, or longer parallel with the width of the door, it creates a stronger section um, integral to that foam. So, yes, everybody has polyurethane foam, but when you use rain or new foam technology, it actually is polyurethane plus the added benefit of a stronger cellular structure. The other benefit is extremely dense. If you cut open the middle of any given section of ours, whether it be our three-inch commercial polyurethane or our inch and um, three-eight residential aspen, you're going to find the same density of fill in that polyurethane new foam. And it it's very dense, very few air bubbles, and because it's dynamically laid in there, by dan- dynamically laid, I mean it has a moving wand, it actually fills all the cavity all the way out to um, the ship lap or the tongue and groove uh, joint profiles. And I know that a lot of polyurethane does. Um, a lot of it, the you know, other manufacturers, it just kind of naturally expands there. Ours is almost, it naturally expands there, but it's kind of like forced up into those corners, if you will. It, it's difficult to describe, but it makes it so that that section is completely filled with very, very few air gaps in it. Um, so we invested very heavily in polyurethane technology for, you know, a couple different things. Um, first of all, you can make a lot of doors very quickly. So, um, you know, instead of having to hand assemble, roll form an outside skin, roll form an inside skin, take your polystyrene, glue the two skins to it. Instead of having to go through that process, which is, of course, very manual, uh, polyurethane doors are made, um, you know, off of the machine. So they just keep, the machine keeps running and you just cut them to length as they're coming out of the machine. So that's one reason. The other reason is, you know, the value to the consumer. So we talk a lot about, you know, price and how much somebody pays for a door. And, you know, I'm going to use round numbers here for that thousand dollar door. What do I get for my thousand dollars? And, you know, on a Ranger door, you get that new foam technology. So instead of getting an R value of, um, you know, six, seven or 10 with polystyrene, you're now getting an R value of 13 or 18 on the residential side or all the way up to 24 on the commercial side. So that, that value is greater on the polyurethane insulation. The other thing of course is the strength. It's a stronger section. Um, the other things though, what, what do you get for value with that Aspen door or really any of our residential doors um, that kind of sets Rainer product apart? We have a, a patented drum and it, again, it sounds kind of nerdy, but when you think about it, it's hard to improve on something, i.e. a garage door that's been around for, you know, literally almost a hundred years. But what can we do to make something better for the consumer, safer for the consumer, and, and create something that's unique for our dealers and our customers to be able to sell? And one of the things we did here about a year and a half back is we came up with what we call our true balance drum. And what it does is as windows have gotten bigger, thicker, more insulated, heavier, um, the doors tend to not balance, right? You've got a lot of weight in that top section, and then the sections without the windows don't weigh as much. So the door doesn't tend to bounce. It's very heavy on the ground. And then as you start lifting it, it starts to balance out, but it's very, very heavy on the ground. We came up with a true balance drum where it's almost like the reverse of a high lift drum, if you will. It makes it so it lifts more weight on the bottom half and then flattens out the curve, if you will, of the balance as the door goes to the open position. So it has a very consistent feel and consistent balance. Do we charge more for that? No, it's one of the things you get as you know, as part of that value project or process 
of a Rainer door. And I could go on for a long time about these different things about a Rainer door that make it, you know, a great deal and a lot of uh, stuff baked into it for your consumer, for your customer. You know, I guess one of the things that I want to point out too is, you know, the perception has been, you know, that Rainer's, you know, maybe, maybe 15 years ago, if you ask somebody to say, yeah, Rainer's a really good door, but man, they're expensive. And, I, and one of the things I wanted to point out is the fact that Rainer is still a really good door and man, are they price competitive is probably the, the message I'm trying to let people know, because if you put our product up against, you know, anybody else, we're usually right in the mix. Um, you know, sometimes we're higher, sometimes we're lower, but we're all right in that mix um, on the competitive price. But what's different is you get a lot more for your money when you buy a Rainer door. You talk about that new foam, the true balance, our proprietary track and hardware systems. Um, and again, there's a bunch of other things. So, you know, when you're selling that cut, that door to your customer and they're getting two or three other quotes, um, from other manufacturers and other door companies, you, you've got something that you can hang your hat on and say, well, you're also buying it from, um, you know, me as the dealer, but you're also getting this as part of the product. And I think that's really, really important point to make. Yeah. I think, uh, being that there's not a ton of Rainer dealers in the area and there's not a distribution center, it helps set us apart um, because we can offer a door that not a lot of people do offer. Um, so that's helpful too. So I like part of, you know, it's not exclusive, but it's, um, it's nice to, to be able to walk in a home and listen to a customer's needs. And when they say something to me like, uh, I want the most insulated door you have. Um, I'm looking for quality and value. Um, you know, automatically I, I go right to the Rainer um, Aspen and I talk about how great that door is and the quality. And, and, and so uh, it's served us very well. Um, you know, we're in Atlanta, so urethane's probably not the most popular insulation uh, that we sell, but we're starting to sell more of it because the pricing is fair. Um, you know, it's in line and the product is excellent. Um, so, you know, if you got a great product and you're fair on pricing, uh, I think it lines up really well and we've been successful with it. Yeah, it's great to hear Ryan. You know, and the other thing that you talked about is, is our, is our AlumaView or our, our full view product. Uh, one of the advancements we made in the past, probably two months on that one is we introduced one inch thick glass. So as you talk about how more and more people are putting that door in a lot of different places, bars, restaurants, countertop levels, pool houses, heck I've even seen people have it, you know, up above their kitchen sink so they can pass through stuff to the outside uh, on the residences. You want more options. So by, on, by expanding that glass from half inch overall to one inch overall, you now have a lot more colors available. You have, um, better thermal property because you've now doubled the air gap between them or the, the gas gap, if you will, between the two panes of glass. So that's one of the advancements we've made on our three inch product. And you made a good point earlier is that integrated U-bar. So when it's integrated, as, as you said, it's actually built into the inside of the aluminum extrusion. So the strut is hidden in that extrusion, which makes for a very clean, um, clean product. One of the cool things you mentioned earlier was our, our what we call our web connect or our online quoting and ordering system. Um, it, uh, the great thing about the system is that it is an engineering system. So as you're building that product, it won't let you build something that we can't make. Love that. And in fact, by the time you get done with building the door through the online system, you'll have your price. You'll have a shop drawing of what it looks like. 
and it'll even tell you what springs and things like that are going to be on the door so that you know, you know, frankly, some of our dealers use it as, as kind of a cheat in a good way. It's like, a training hey, I need tool. to replace this a training tool, right? And, you know, hey, I need to replace the spring on this size door. What size spring is it? They'll build a quote and then they'll get their spring size from it, which yes. is actually really, really cool. So um, part of that, though, is for like high end restaurants or homes or something. Um, you have the ability to choose any of the RAL colors for power coat on the full view door, the sections themselves. You can also choose any of the same colors, 187 colors on the hardware and track. So if you were a, uh, you know, Green Bay Packers fan, you could have a yellow door and green hardware. Um, so to me, that's really, really cool that you have the ability to mix and match those colors or, of course, make them the same color. But to me, it's, it's a, kind of a testament of how robust that system is and how we try and cater really to the needs of what our customers want. That's good. So why did you guys go so big on like doing your own powder coating? Cause it seems like most manufacturers aren't like, that's not their thing. Uh, and it almost seems like a little bit of an inconvenience to a lot of companies. Uh, but you guys do powder coating in house. I imagine that was probably a pretty significant commitment. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? It's no secret that I bring on advertisers of products that I use and love. I love it when I sign up for a service and feel good about it before, during, and after. Service Titan has made our customer experience significantly better. We use automated messages to go out to our customers to streamline communication. Our customers love the fact that they can text in and we know who they are by name. All communication between our customers via call text is attached to their customer account so text can review it prior to arriving to a job. I love the campaign source report. It tells me which marketing campaigns are working. My favorite feature is the new marketing feature that allows me to set up drip campaigns and email our customers based on what they bought or didn't buy from us. Check out Service Titan at servicetitan.com forward slash torsion for your free demo. You guys do powder coating in-house. I imagine that was probably a pretty significant commitment. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So powder coating, you know, in my opinion, and again, we sell a lot of it, it's almost, a garage doors are almost the wrong application for powder coating. And this is, of course, my opinion, but, you know, powder coating was designed for the automotive industry, you know, brush guards and step, you know, you know, step tubes and things like that, where they're, outside have a lot of rock tips it's a very thick and durable process um it actually kind of made its way into the garage door world because you could powder coat slats on rolling steel doors you could powder coat guides track um components rail and styles of aluminum full view doors so it made it kind of an easy process um i think is, is probably how it got started uh, if you look at the rest of the building products industry it's not used in a lot of different areas maybe some things like handrails and things like that. But if you look at building component systems, a lot of them are wet or two part um, applied paint, um, which have the same durability as powder coat. So I'm, I'm a little perplexed and this goes way predates my time in the door industry as to why we ended up in powder coat as an industry, but we did. And so because we were there, Rainer decided, Hey, let's make it easy for us to powder coat our product. We saw a lot of rolling steel doors. We saw a lot of aluminum doors and, um, you can actually powder coat the steel skins on the polystyrene doors. So, you know, there's customers that say for a fire station, want that bright red powder coated door, we can do that on a polystyrene product. So there's a, a lot of our products can take that powder coat application and it just made sense to do it in house. So that we're not having to wait 
on somebody else, the more things that we control, the less chance there are for errors or extended lead times or increased costs or, you know, frankly, all of the above. So um, that's probably one of the main reasons we invested, or those are the main reasons we invested so heavily in powder coat. And, you know, as you mentioned, you can, we can turn around a, a powder coated full view door in, in um, very aggressive lead times as if compared to like, if you wanted like an anodized aluminum door, those lead times are longer. Um, so that's one of the reasons. And the other thing is, you know, it's just controlling that product quality. It's, you, you know, if we, if we run a product through and it's, the paint isn't the way we want it to be for our quality control, you know, we don't have to wait and resend it back out. We'll just run through, you know, run it through it again and, and uh, get it the way we want, which again, makes that product to you as the end user um, that much better. I've got some blue, like bright blue full view glass doors going into a restaurant soon uh, that we ordered from you guys. I'm very excited to see what that's going to look like. Uh, I think it's a Mexican restaurant, but they're, they, uh, they said they wanted blue. And, uh, so we got them blue. So they're coming pretty awesome. excited. Well, we'll have, we'll have to check it out next time we're down in Atlanta then. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So what are some challenges that you guys have Rainer as a business, um, distributing doors, making doors as a dealer? Maybe we don't, we don't understand or, um, you know, uh, maybe appreciate, or maybe we have some misconceptions about that you could, um, educate us on. <laughs> Good question. So this, this one hit close to home for me because I was a dealer for a long time, obviously. And I, and I always just thought it's, you know, it's a couple skins of steel, you know, you pull things on, you know, the end plates and you're good to go. And, you know, as a dealer side, you, you think, why can't X, Y, or Z be done? And the more you get into the engineering of the way these doors work and operate, the more um, you understand why some things can or can't be done. So, for instance, let's talk about polyurethane aspen because that's probably a, a really good, easy example. I would think that it'd be, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would think that it'd be pretty easy to just, you know, make a white door and then turn right around and make a brown door and turn right around and make a charcoal door. It's not. Every single run of polyurethane, you have to start the machine with that specific coil of steel for the, the face seal and the back seal. It has to run through um, the texturizer. It has to, that's not the term for it. It's the drum that puts the texture on the, on the skin of the steel. It goes through the embosser, and, which stamps on you know the raised handle design. Then it starts going to the machine where it starts making all of the, uh, the joints, if you will, the shiplap joints and so on. And then it starts going into the machine where it comes together and starts filling the polyurethane. Well, for all that to get started, you've got to have a run out of a number of feet. When I say feet, it's like 20 feet or, or more um, to make sure that the polyurethane is warmed up and it's filling the cavity correctly and all this kind of stuff. So right there, you've got 20 feet of scrap. And then you have kind of the same thing on the tail end. And that's assuming you don't have any you know, gaps or something in the polyurethane. Again, we inspect it as it's being filled so that it's very consistent. But if there's, you know, if there's a bubble in the line or whatever happens um, where we have to stop the machine and cut that section out, why then that kind of starts that process all over again. So every time you do a color changeover, you have to stop the machine, um, splice together the different colors of steel, run that steel out again. So, you know, when you're saying, hey, I need to get this, of an odd color let's say you have a customer that needs replacement 
you know, browns are still kind of popular, but not nearly as popular as they used to be. So let's say they have a, a brown bottom section they have to have right away. We only run that maybe a couple of times a week just because of the change orders, because the change overs, I should say, because of um, the complexity of, of, of how much time and effort it takes to change over that seal. That extends that lead time out. So from the consumer side or the dealer side, you're thinking, we'll just run the section. But on the manufacturer side, it's not it very it's not as easy as just run it quote unquote running the section. It's it's a whole process to get that specific color worked in with other colors um, to run through the machine at the same time. So um, to me, that was one of the things. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I had no yeah, idea. That, I'm sitting here like, don't you guys just have these laying around? Can you not just send it to me, please? <laughs> You know, I asked one of the guys that was retiring, I said, so, you know, back in the quote-unquote glory days of garage doors, back in the 80s, you know, what was the best thing about selling garage doors? He's like, you had your choice of white color, one panel design, yeah. and the only variable was size. You could just kick those things out. You could. We had inventory floor to ceiling, and so all you had to do was just pull from inventory and ship it out. So lead times and all that were very, very quick. As we mentioned earlier in the, you know, in our conversation, the consumer wants uh, – you know, some parts in this country have really weird sizes. Like they'll make 16 foot wide, nine foot tall doors, and then they'll have 16 by seven six, and you know, 18 by eight three. I mean, just odd size stuff. So they want those weird size doors, and then they want every color of the rainbow, and then they want all the different panel styles. It's virtually impossible to inventory that. So everything is pretty much made to order, which doesn't leave a lot of margin for error. Like, it, like I said, if you have a polyurethane issue or, a, you know. Uh, you know, let's just say the delivery truck breaks down. I mean, random things happen in this world. There's not a lot of room to error when people are doing made to order and then they're counting on that lead time to be exact. So that's one of the big, big challenges. Um, some of the things that, that don't change, um, but still I think are really interesting to come together are like track hardware springs. You know, when, when you're get opening your hardware box and, and uh, you realize that there's an extra hinge or maybe you're short a hinge or something, all that hardware is picked by hand and then verified by weight. So they weigh that hardware box based on that serial number on a scale, and they can tell by fractions of a pound if something's missing from that box. Nice. So to me, that was that's super interesting too. So the checks and balances are, are, are fairly complex, and if you think about the quantity of doors that go out of you know our manufacturing facility, it's pretty impressive um, that our accuracy is so high. I, can I introduce you to – Someone who you could probably heal very much. <laughs> no, that's bad. I know it's bad. <laughs> uh, it's bad. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I think we could probably do better uh, quality control in some areas. And you guys seem to have it down. So uh, maybe start a consulting firm or something because uh seems to be an issue uh, in a lot of areas right now. So. Um, it's tough. You know, I'll tell you what, Ryan, one of the biggest things though, um, you can have all these checks and balances and processes in place. And, and, you know, even after 75 years of manufacturing, we'll find things that fall through the cracks with like some random thing. I don't even have a good example off the top of my head, but some random thing will come through and like, we did not have a check for that. This happens once every millionth order. And, you know, we didn't have a check for that, but we do now. So there's some random things, but I think the biggest thing we talked about earlier is the people that care about what they're doing. So you can have the right. best systems in the world, but if you don't have people that care about their jobs and care about that product going to the end customer, you know, the whole, the whole system kind of falls apart. And so I think that's one of our biggest advantages. So we had a truck deliver one of your doors 
was probably one of the first ones. I would say it might have been second or third. And the guy's pulling everything together, and we're unloading the truck, and he looks at me. He's like, man, I got to apologize to you. He's like, I don't have your springs. And I was like, well, then the, the whole thing's no good. Why you bring me the door with no springs? And he's like, no, it's okay. Calm down. He's like, we're, we're good. He's like, uh, they will ship them to you. He's like, I think he uh, says here on the order, I think I ordered powder-coated springs. He said, occasionally when you order the powder-coated springs, they're not ready at the same time, and they'll ship the door to get it on the truck and get it to you, and they'll mail the springs. Well, the next day, I got the springs shipped, and um, and so it was impressive. Uh, I'm not used to I'm, – I'm used to when things go wrong, I have to babysit. I have to follow up. I have to do the research to figure out what's going on, how do I get it fixed. Um, but – for, for him to have brought that to my attention and then told me what what's going to happen next, uh, I didn't even feel the need to reach out to Chris or anybody else. I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, if I don't get it in the next day or two, then you know I'll reach out, but I got it the very next day. and um, So I, I know no one's perfect. Uh, I don't expect that. I don't think any of the dealers expect that, right? Um, I think the, the, the biggest issue that we have is – um, let's say for example, I try to explain this to, to our local distribution centers and f- they look at me like, like, uh, they don't know what I'm talking about, but we have trucks. Those trucks make money. If I have a two hour window, uh, let's say my average tickets, $400. Okay. Um, and we install a door and it's got a damaged section, uh, from the manufacturer. And then we have to go back and get a section and then drive to the job and take up a, a, a two-hour window um, and install that section. So for us, we're making a trip to the distribution center or the doors being delivered here. Um, that's time, money, effort. Uh, we have to call the customer schedule. Um, the inconvenience of the customer having to deal with us, that is uh, a, a knock on our overall experience um, that we're delivering, right? Um, then we have a two-hour window, which we the company would normally make $400 in. We were not making $400 during that window. Um, and then on top of that, we're paying a technician to go out because it wasn't his fault. Um, and install the section, I mean, it adds up. And when you're doing it three, four, or five times a week, um, you know, the lack of quality control doesn't, is it your problem anymore? It's our problem. Um, and it starts to hurt really bad uh, when it starts to, to ramp up and get a little bit crazy. Um, and I don't think people realize just how much it costs because there's a there's a planned dollar amount and there's an actual dollar amount. They're two very different things, and I view it as I'm losing uh, five six hundred dollars for every section that I have to go install, um, and that's very frustrating. Yeah, you know, I will say, you know, like you said, nobody's perfect, and and everybody makes mistakes. Um, you know, from a manufacturer side, so that's why for us, we actually have a whole team. Um, you know, the, the works on quality. If there's a mistake, 
we go back and find out how it was happening, you know, what the mistake was, is it systemic or one-off? Do we, you know, what can we do to prevent it from happening in the future and so on and so on and so on. So it's very important for us to make sure that that product, ideally we'd have a hundred percent quality, you know, delivered quality, what we call delivered quality to, you know, our customers. Um, but you know, life happens and sometimes that, that isn't always the case. And so we try and make sure that we are, you know, always striving for that hundred percent mark. Right. And, uh, and we try and, you know, we understand that it helps us, you know, customers like you just mentioned, you know, lose money when the, you know, they have to fix our mistakes. And so, you know, one of the things, you know, I try and have conversations and we, you know, try and work out as a team, you know, we, we view our customers as partners and I, and I like to think that our customers view us as partners. And so, you know, a mistake or two a year, you know, it's kind of expected when you're putting in an installed product, you know, if you were, you know, but if, yeah. if we're sending or, you know, giving you product that is, you know, wrong over and over and over and over again, we're going to do something to make it right. And um, so, like I said, we've got a whole team and I'm part of that team to make sure that, you know, we catch these things because, you know, it, it's hard for customers to keep that faith in a manufacturer or supplier if they, you know, ex- if the if the norm in their mind is that it's going to be damaged um, versus that the norm is it's going to be correct and the damages or the shortages or whatever it is or one off, and that's where we really strive you know strive to to you know put a lot of room for improvement. I will say improvement, a lot of room for um, I should say put a lot of emphasis on to make sure that we we continue to do things right there. So you know again, do we think are we perfect 100% of the time? Absolutely not, but you know we own the mistakes and we help our customers out. Yeah, and you guys have I love the chat feature to be able to just jump on chat with uh with one of the people on the other side. They always are very responsive. I get a quick answer um and they seem very helpful. Um so the chat feature is uh, a big deal. I appreciate that. Right. I'll- I'll tell you what, I use that chat feature than I use, more than I use my phone. Like, so, <laughs> I, you know, Chris is really good about about Web Connect, you know, that's, of course, our online system, and he uses it all the time. I don't use it as much as my RMs. I mean, I'm not building quotes every day, obviously, but, you know, I use it fairly frequently, but once in a while, I'll run across something, I'm like, how do I put that window arrangement in that full view door, whatever it is? I jump on the chat, and, and it's so much faster, because I can still do emails and stuff in the background, and then that chat pops up when somebody's available within a couple of minutes, and and boom, I got my answer. So, um, yeah, so it, it's great. And, and it's cool too, because it gives you a chance, you know, cause I work with these people. It's like, Oh, it's Tim. Hey, yeah, no, this is what you do. So I, I love that chat feature. It's, it's a really, really valuable resource. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot about residential. We talked about customer service, quality control, my experience, Rainer. Let's talk about commercial, uh, because this is a big part of your business. You guys, so commercial. Pretty, you guys are pretty big in the rolling steel uh, business. Tell us a little bit about the rolling steel and the shutter and the grills. Uh, what makes you guys different? Why why Rainer over everybody else? Yeah, so one of the big things with commercial, um, and like I said, we spent a lot of time talking about residential, and there's a lot of great things happening there. Um, commercial, though, in my opinion, is, is a tricky thing. Not every manufacturer does it super well. I like to think we do it you know, better than most. And I like to think that because we know how to, you know, we know a lot about it. We are, um, we're a big asset to our dealers. One of the, there's a lot of elements that go into it. One of it, of course, is engineering. So our engineering team has a lot of tenureship. So they've been there a long time. They know what they're talking about. There's a lot of, you know, solid garage door people there. 
that are oftentimes able to get creative. You know, your standard 16 by 16 door standard headroom doesn't require any engineering support. All that stuff is built into the system. But let's say you had a 16 by 16 and then you needed a 45 break at two feet above the header because there was a duct work there and then you needed the track to go to roof pitch after that. That's pretty complicated. Where do you mount the spring? What are the springs going to bounce? What are the drums like? What do the spring pads need to be mounted from the dealer side? You know, all those sorts of things. Our engineering team is really good about coming up with creative solutions to get that product um, into that opening in a timely manner. So, you know, not only do we, our, does our engineering team work around those, those challenges, they also do it quickly. So our, our goal is to have an answer back, whether it's quote or engineering support in less than 24 hours. So if you send an email and usually, and that's what, that's the goal. Usually it's within a couple of hours. 24 is the exception. Usually you get it by end of business day or even within a couple of hours. So, you know, if you email in and say, hey, I've got to get this weird size quote or I need 100,000 cycle springs on an 8x8 eight eight door, you know, I can't build it in the system because it's so weird, you know, help me out. You should be getting that response back very, very quickly. So that's one of the big strengths about Rainer's uh, commercial department. The other thing is is the support that we put into it. I mentioned earlier my, my role as director of architectural sales. That piece right there is the genesis for a lot of sales uh, within the commercial space. So the fact that we put a lot of time um, and effort into growing our specture makes the sale a lot easier for our Rainer dealers. We're already specified. In a lot of cases, um, we work to make sure that we're the full spec. And that makes it very, very um, appealing and for our customers because now they're not competing on price as much. They're competing on the fact that they're the Rainer dealer and they're selling the Rainer product. So that's another aspect of it. But from the product side, um, when you're selling a project into the commercial space, if you think about it, do you want to buy your rolling steel from one manufacturer and your sectional from another manufacturer and your operator from another manufacturer and, and have to worry about what's the freight, what's my margin on each of these products, where are they coming, are they going to arrive at the same time, how many different trucks do I have to worry about, and then I'm going to have to write three checks, um, I'm dealing with three different departments, so when you buy a written, that can get confusing and complicated when you're dealing on these very, very large commercial projects. When you buy a Rainer commercial door, you get your rolling steel, your high-speed doors, your sectional doors, your commercial operators, all, all within you know the Rainer brand, the Rainer family. So you can work all that stuff up on the same bid package, the same set of shop drawings, the same customer service team, the same tech support team, tech, the same delivery truck to the job site. So it makes it very, very... Um, smooth and seamless when you're talking about the commercial side of things. But then again, there's the product. So you talked about like the three inch thick full view door. Um, you can actually put that three inch thick full view section, not as a full view door, but just as a full vision section on a three, well, on our three inch thick polyurethane door. Um, I'm not aware of, of anybody else that can do full view sections on three inch thick doors. So that's pretty cool from, as an example, the other thing is that we've got, all of our residential colors available on commercial size doors. We call it our, our TM200C, so our Thermosteel 200C for color. So all of your residential colors are available on those commercial applications. And that's pretty cool too because a lot of different customers, especially when you look at like automotive shops and stuff, even just driving around my city here, I see you know dark gray doors, black doors, um, odd colored stuff, which you normally would just be like white. They're putting colors onto commercial spaces now, um, which I think is, is really great from an aesthetic standpoint. But as a manufacturer, hey, we've got that available, and it, it does give us 
you know, us and our customers a competitive advantage. And so you mentioned Rolling Steel. Rolling Steel is literally like the oldest store in the industry. Um, I think the first one came out in like the 1880s or something. It, they're, they've been around for a long time. So what do you do to improve on a Rolling Steel door? Well, first of all, you manufacture it in the same place that you manufacture sectional doors, so they ship all together. That's one thing. The other thing is, is that you make it so that the door and operator are branded the same. So you've got a Rainer door and a Rainer operator. And this goes for not only rolling steel, but sectional, and frankly, our residential doors as well. But it makes it so you have an engineered door system. Now, I know some of that's salesy and marketing and whatnot, but you know the perception of the customer and the reality to the customer is that the same manufacturer built the operator and built the door, so they know how they're operating together. So now you have a door system. But the other cool thing about our rolling steel doors, and if you go to our YouTube channel, we describe, I mean, there's a lot better job describing than I'm going to do now, but we actually have um, up to certain size pipes. We have interchangeable springs. So you can change the handing from left to right in the field. You can also change the broken, if you have a broken spring inside one of those pipes, you can change that in the field also instead of having to use a cutting torch, cut the pipe apart, pull the spring out, reorder the spring, or reorder the whole counterbalance assembly, you can actually do that in the field. And like I said, if you go to our YouTube channel, we have a video on that. So um, there are some things that are unique about a Rainer rolling steel door that you wouldn't even think about. You can't like look at the door and say, oh, that's what's special about the Rainer door. It's from the technical aspect what's really cool about it. So it makes it easier for you guys to sell and service. And when we're talking to an end user, you know, if we're talking to, you know, whatever, an Amazon distribution center, we'll, we'll say, hey, you know, we've got this so that you can stock a replacement spring so that the technician can fix it, you know, on site when he comes out to fix it or comes out for the repair. So there's some things in rolling steel, which I think are really, really uh, great. Uh, you also mentioned powder coat. And one of the cool things is that obviously we can powder coat the guides, the hood, the curtain, bottom bars, all that kind of stuff in-house. Um, but we also have a great way to protect that powder coat. So if you think about the way a rolling steel works, it coils on top of itself and there's always going to be some scratching, even with the most robust systems in place to keep it from scratching. There's always going to be some wear on the slats because of the way the door works. We actually have a system low tech, but super effective where we use nylon strap, kind of like a seat belt, if you will, spaced evenly. Uh, I believe it's like every 24 or 36 inches, whatever it is across the back of the door. So that when the curtain rolls up, it actually rolls onto those nylon, uh, seatbelt material so that you don't have as much surface to surface um, friction on the, on the curtain, which really helps reduce the, uh, the powder coat wear. So there's some things about our rolling steel doors that are unique terrainer that, you know, again, we don't charge extra for them, but they're pretty cool when you're the consumer saying, Hey, this is what's different about, you know, a quote unquote plain old boring rolling steel door. There's actually something, you know, um, dem- uh, you know, that you can point to that's different about the Rainer product. Right. So I'm going to shift gears again uh, and talk a little bit about some things uh, relationally with dealers and manufacturers. Um, I, I want to see suppliers and dealers working together better. How, like, how can dealers, like, what can dealers do to help manufacturers? Is there data? Is there information? You know, what, what is it? And then reverse the question what is it that manufacturers can do to help dealers uh, be better either in advertising or whatnot? Um, 
I know I've looked for trying to get data from manufacturers, but uh, what are some things that you think would help each? Great question, Ryan. Here's where I'm looking at it from my perspective from both being on the dealer side and being on the manufacturer side. I'm going to tell you what I know from the dealer side that I think is really, really helpful. When you're a dealer, I think it's very, very helpful to have the resources to, to just help sell product, right? So make it easy to sell product. I want information about the product. I want to know what's different about it. I want to have whatever samples I need to sell. I want to have whatever virtual samples they are, whether it's a, you know, a, a design a door, whether it's a VR showroom, whatever those features are. I want to have those at my fingertips. So I have an easy way of selling this product. Then I also want to have an easy online system. So I want to be able to not have to go through gyrations to get a quote. Um, especially when there's unique things like window placements or colors or things like that. I want something seamless. So from the dealer side, I want to be able to just to, to quote order, sell, et cetera, something very easily. But you know, you asked the question, what could dealers do to help manufacturers? I think that open and honest communication is the best thing. So it's, it's, and then realistic, you're being understanding with realistic expectations. expectations. So that's the thing I, I, you know, for all the dealers out there that are listening, it's like, you know, you want this weird size door in the specialty color and you want it in two days (laughs) isn't going to happen. Don't blow up my phone because I can't get it for you in two days. Be realistic with what some of these are and then help us as a manufacturer relay that information to your customer. Right. So, you know, it, it's also like, don't just throw us under the bus because we're the manufacturer. Oh, the manufacturer can't get it for us. It's like, Mr. And Mrs. Customer, you do realize that this is this specific thing and it's going to take a specific time. I think sometimes we look at our, look at the, ourselves in the store industry in a vacuum. Like we hold ourselves maybe to a different standard than maybe you would something else. Uh, go out and just had get that conversation with somebody. It's so funny. Yeah, because go out, okay, so go out and price a um, front entry door, like a fiberglass, nice fiberglass door with a light or maybe a grid pattern and a side light and a nice lock set, and you're going to be like cost like twelve or 1500 bucks on that thing. But a customer is going to raise a sink because you're charging them 2000 bucks to replace their garage door. And to me, it's, it's that, that we all both, you know, as a manufacturer and a dealer, need to work to change the perception that, you know, it is the biggest aesthetic it is the biggest moving and it is the most frequently used other than maybe your dishwasher appliance, if you will, in your home. And you want to cheap out on it and think that it should be the same cost as it was in 1987. Just not, just not reality. Right. The other thing that I think, you know, that I would like to, to see a change. We talked about how the industry, the industry is changing and we segued into, you know, how we can help each other out. I would love to see um, some more, safety built around garage doors. And by that, I mean, you know, let's just assume that I didn't know anything about garage doors. I could in theory go down and buy a garage door with my credit card, throw it on my truck and say I'm a garage door company and put it in in any consumer's home. And yes, I would be liable because I put the product in or whatnot, but I wouldn't have to have any training. I would love to see us as an industry put together some sort of required training before a or technician is able to go to a customer's house or a place of business to put that product in. Um, from, if nothing else from the safety perspective, and I know that IDEA has been working towards that. Um, I would love to see it. 
you know, some more teeth in it and make it more required because it elevates the whole industry. You have to have a permit, you know, at least in my county, you got to have a, re- a permit to replace a water heater, but you can just replace the garage door with nothing other than, you know, somebody's word saying they're qualified. And so to me, there's, there's a big gap there that I think we need to work on filling. I've got a secret project that I think is going to make you very happy. Um, I'll call you off the air and we'll chat about it. But uh, I'm, I, I feel the same way. I feel like there's a huge gap. Um, you know, we, we're struggling to get people in the industry, struggling to train them properly. And um, I've had very little luck with uh, people who have been doing it for a long time, wanting to do it the right way. Um, you know, I think as a business owner, also totally side note, um, you know, you're trusting technicians to go out to homes and believing in them that they're doing it right. And uh, we've recently implemented uh, some quality control checks uh, where we're we're doing uh, monthly spot checks random, um, on our technicians and installers. And, you know, they're not doing bad work, but not to our standard. And so, uh, how long has that been going on? How long does it go on for all these, you know, I have to imagine majority of door dealers aren't doing a great job of training and aren't doing a great job of quality control ourselves. So if we're going to hold our manufacturers accountable to doing a good job, or I think we need to hold ourselves accountable uh, for doing a good job. And so um, I'm actually working on a project right now. Um, I was fishing and I got a, I got a last weekend I got a, I had a moment and Adrian's laughing at me. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was so obvious. It was like one of those things like, how did I not think of this sooner? Um, but I've got a plan. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've pitched it to both my door company and my marketing company. Everybody's giving me a thumbs up and we're about to rock and roll on it and it's going to be big and I'm really excited about it. So, uh, hopefully it'll solve some of those problems we just discussed. Awesome. Love to hear more about it. So, uh, next question, we're wrapping up here, uh, in a minute. Uh, what are some innovative things in the garage door industry that you're excited about? Um, a lot of the innovations that I'm excited about have to do with, you know, the IIoT and how people monitor their doors. Um, they also have to do with, um, you know, on the commercial side, you know, how doors are, are used in new and innovative spaces. So I, I know it's, it's maybe becoming um, overused example, but, you know, for the longest time, a garage door was just used to pull your car into now it's used to convert, uh, you know, a restaurant into an outdoor patio space. Um, in fact, there was a big write-up on uh, from one of the news channels in Rockford, Illinois, from some rainer doors that we did on a couple different restaurants up there, and they interviewed our dealer up there um, and how they were able to use that space to open the restaurant faster because of social distancing um, because of the garage doors. So things like that really excite me. Um, ability to monitor a door, control a door, decide when a door needs to be serviced prior to needing to be serviced, like the check engine light on your car, that sort of stuff um, really gets me excited because I think that's kind of the next wave. And there's a number of different things that are happening in the background uh, with some of those things. But um, so stay tuned. But then again, there's other things like how do you make a garage door more thermally efficient? 
Um, and that plays more on the commercial space, but we're constantly working on thermally breaking products, adding different types of insulation, improving the performance, you know, because we're basically taking a wall, moving it vertically, and then putting that wall back in place. We want that to function like a wall does, be safe, be secure, be thermally efficient. And, you know, so to me, that's, that's really, you know, some of the more exciting things. And, um, you know, again, maybe somebody from outside the industry wouldn't think that's super, super exciting, but, you know, it's these, it, some of these kind of um, incremental improvements have a cumulative effect of, of really making the product a lot better. And then the other thing is, is, is bringing the dealers, and I know we talked about it earlier, but bringing dealers, customers, installers to a, a more professional level. So one of the things Rainer does, we have four different technical academies and we have our sales academy. So those things, I think are really exciting from the processes um, perspective of making, you know, our product the best product it can be from to the end consumer. Because you know, let's face it, we can build the best product in the world, but if it's not installed well, it's not going to function well. And so, bringing all those kind of the same level or having a standard, I think, is really exciting for myself too. Hundred percent. All right. So at the end of every show, we're doing kind of like I call them quick hitters. We ask questions. You got to give a short answer. Um, so, first question is: What type of door and motor do you have on your home? I'm actually just in the process of replacing them because I, I have a, a new to me house, and so I'm going to have um, jack shaft operators and uh, two inch thick Aspen product with a um, specific window arrangement. The house I just sold, I actually had the Rock Creek, which is the overlay oh, product, nice. yeah. um, with a jack shaft operator on it. So garage door guy has to have and has to have nice doors, and a must for all of my garage doors, powder-coated track. Having that white powder-coated powder track makes your garage look like a so million good. bucks. I know. I did the 32-inch radius powder-coated track hardware, uh, side mount 8500W, and I'm so happy. Like, my wife, she drives an Escalade. When she pulls in the garage, we can literally lift the gate up, and it doesn't even touch the door because of the 32-inch radius. Um, oh, yeah. So I love that. Uh, so good choice. Which side mount are you going with? Are you going to go with the Genie or the LiftMaster? We are. I we have our own side mount operators. They're actually um, Rainer operators. We call it our Prodigy, but it's the 8500W. Oh, so yeah, it'll be the 8500W with the Rainer label on it. There you go. All right, Jordan or Kobe for GOAT? Uh, Jordan. Nobody's chosen Kobe. I'm really excited about that. I'm a Jordan fan. I was actually part of the Jordan fan club as a kid. Um, yeah, it was like the best week of the month when I got the little package. Um, all right. So I don't know if you're a big rap guy growing up, but, uh, Tupac or Biggie. Oh, California baby. It's gotta be Tupac. Ah, I think Tupac's a hundred percent too. Wow, I'm impressed. All right, favorite band. Oh, favorite band. Um, I like old stuff. So I like Allman Brothers. I like uh, like some of the Old Stone stuff. Um, I, I'm more of a classic rock guy. I, I don't even have a current favorite band. I, I listen to usually listen to country. If I'm going to listen to contemporary stuff, and I'll go classic for old stuff. Nice. Okay, pizza with a fork or hands. Oh. With a hand, but you got to fold it in half. I'm a folder too. Where, yeah, you and I are going to be good friends one day. Um, were you a good student or a bad student in grade school? 
I, in grade school, I was an average-ish student. You know, I'd rather be outside doing stuff. In high school, I was a good student. I, I learned well, but I don't I, – I love learning, but I'd rather, like, have practical learning. So, like, I read a ton of books right now. Um, they're always, you know, sales books or history books or things like What's that. What's your favorite book, sales book? Um, the Complex Sale right now is, is my favorite one. Um, That's a good one. By Jeb Blunt. I like yeah. that one. Read that about um, five or six years ago. Yeah, it's a great book. For B2B, you know, where you're selling to, like, corporations, businesses, that's one of the best books I've ever read. It's one of the best ones. If you think about what we do, we are selling to businesses yeah. all day long. And so we, and, and the thing we sell is not commodity and it takes a long time. It's a, it's a relationship type sale. So to yeah. me, that's a great book. When I'm reading other stuff, I love uh, World War II history and Civil War history. So, it, it, or, and actually, it's becoming more history now, but the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, there's a ton of good books that are coming on the market now about um, the early days of those, of that war. Well, the continued war eventually, but so that's, that's the type of um, nonfiction literature I like reading. Gotcha. Do you play an instrument? If so, what? Um, I actually used to play the piano a lot um, and actually got a partial scholarship to college to play the piano. Wow. I playing the piano, but I haven't touched it in a number of years because I've got three kids and, um, and I'm actually a, a ultra distance runner. So that takes up all my spare time. Okay. So you got to be pretty damn good at piano to get a scholarship, I imagine. Is that right? Oh, you know, I hold my own. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Modest. All right. Did, did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Oh, <laughs> um, Drew's still out. All right. <laughs> no comment. I hear you. Uh, let's see here. I think that's it. You already said your hobby is uh, long distance running, right? Yeah, correct. Very cool. Well, my man, you did a phenomenal job on the podcast today, and uh, I think it was very educational. I think our listeners are going to benefit from it, um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you for joining, and um, I'm going to be in touch with you about the little secret project I've got going on and one or two other things here in the next few weeks. So I uh, really appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed it, and your show will be out soon. And um uh, if you guys get a chance to share it with uh, your staff there at Rainer and, and uh, try to help us bring more awareness, that would be excellent too. We will. I definitely appreciate the invite, Ryan. It's been a, a pleasure. We will. Um, once that gets live, I'll get with the marketing team and we'll share it um, on all of our social media as well. Awesome, you rock. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tim, and have a wonderful day. You too, Ryan. Talk to you later. Take care.